Today's reading is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Good morning, friends, and thank you to Gabrielle for reading our scripture this morning. I'm Pastor Sharon, and we gather on this glorious, really glorious summer day. Isn't it beautiful? I love the weather. It's cool. It's refreshing. Yet, no matter how sunny it is this morning, how spruced up you who are gathered here in this space, you look really nice, even with the masks, no matter what, we know we come into worship every single week with a boatload of mess-ups and failures and mistakes from this past week. If we're honest, and that's what we want to be in this space, we know that we come to worship today full of sin, full of faults. We can sin in a lot of uh, obvious ways, and we can sin and be caught in a lot of subtle ways. Now, speaking of subtlety, and I have my son's permission to share this. When Nathan was about three years old, he somehow got into the cookies in the middle of the afternoon, which, of course, was a off-limits thing. And I'm looking for Nathan, and I can't find him. And Nathan, Nathan, where are you? Finally, he's sitting behind this chair, this big overstuffed chair. He's sitting there, and he looks right at me, and I said, Nathan, did you get into the cookies? And with chocolate on his mouth, (laughs) crumbs falling, no, no. (laughs) I love that reminder because it's like children don't have the subtlety to hide their sins, right? It's just like right out in front of them. He just went behind a chair and thought that would do it. They haven't developed these sophisticated ways of hiding their attention away from their sin. But as we get older we get more practiced in avoiding sin, in denying that we even have a problem. We hide from ourselves by denying sin. We hide from others by pretending like we have it all together. We even try to hide from God. And so today, we're going to be looking at this series of continuing in our series called um, Genuine Community. 
And you'll see, I can't see it on the screen here. Is that a problem, though? Okay, we'll just go forward. I'll have to turn and look. We're in this series called Genuine Community um, from First John. And today, just the most favorite subject of all, we're going to be talking about dealing with sin. This series from 1 John reminds us of things maybe we've heard for many, many times. We kind of know what it means to be in a community of faith, what it looks like to be a community that follows Jesus. But we need to be reminded. And so did the people who first heard John's message. Because they had been kind of deceived. They'd been pulled astray, uh, lost their way perhaps, because of the way that teachers around them were, were pulling them away. And I think for us in this past year of distance community, where we haven't had this many times to sit in a space like this, we need a refresher ourselves as well. So here we go. Are we going to take sin seriously enough to be honest about it? And then the other question is, how do we break free from sin's power? So I encourage you to open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 John 3, the passage that was read from us from verses 4 to 10. Um, in your on print Bible, on your digital form, let's take a look at God's word together. This writing from the Apostle John. Some context for this passage for all of us. John is responding to these misconceptions. You know, he wrote, wrote to a specific time and a specific problem. And some of the misconceptions they had at that time were sin, this is what the false teachers were saying, Believers really aren't capable of sinning. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've reached this wonderful state of spirituality and you don't have to worry about sin at all. What's done in the body can't really affect you at all. And that led to the second misconception that sin doesn't really matter because you belong to Christ and so the consequences of sin, it doesn't really matter to you. And John is directly challenging all of those misconceptions. So we're going to look at this passage around three different areas. We're going to look at, I think, (laughs) I'll let Helen do it. We're going to take a look at an outline here. First of all, the problem of sin, the devil's role in dealing with sin, and then the way forward as we deal with sin. So first of all, the problem. Do you remember that great movie, Apollo 13, Tom Hanks, right? And they get an emergency up in space, right? And he radios to Earth and says, Houston, we have a problem, right? We have a problem. Now, we may think the issue of sin is not quite as life-threatening as what they were facing on Apollo 13, but yet it is because when we're talking about the sin that separates from God, it has life and death consequences as real as what those astronauts faced if you take a look at verse 4 here in chapter 3 it reminds us that this is the way john describes it sin is lawlessness sin is a disregard for the commands of god it's saying it doesn't really matter and if you disregard god's laws then you disregard god the lawgiver. the message talks about sin describes it in this way. Sin is a major disruption of God's order. Isn't that a good phrase? A major disruption of God's order. So when we break God's law, we disrupt the way the world was designed to be. 
sin disrupts what is really meant to be good and joyful and wonderful for us. And God wants that for us. And so the lawlessness that comes is a, a stepping away from what God intends. There's one phrase that um, is often used, and this is from John Ortberg. And I, I love this one that describes sin as this way. Sin is often the attempt to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. I like that because it reminds us, you and I have legitimate needs that God has given us. Needs for security and joy and relationship, food and pleasure and hope. But when we seek to fulfill those legitimate needs in illegitimate ways, we are breaking God's law. When we sin, we might achieve a short-term goal, but there is a long-term destruction that comes in sin. John says it very clearly there in the beginning of verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. Everyone, everyone, you and I, all of us are sinners. Unless we think, as some in John's day did, that Christians or believers in Jesus were exempt from this, he directs them, he speaks directly to them in verse 6. No one who lives in him, no one who lives in God, abides in him, keeps on sinning. Those who, no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. That's a reminder to us that John said, remember he started his book this way, saying, I've seen Jesus, I know him. And we can say that too if we come to Christ. We know him. Maybe not seen him visibly, but we know him. And, and the scripture reminds us, if we're saying that and continue to sin, we're liars. Pastor Nancy said that in her Kairos Kid thing this morning. Now, our reality seems to contradict this, right? I started with a reminder that we come in here with sin today, and I've already sinned this morning. You've probably already sinned, and will do so tomorrow. So what is John trying to remind us here? We know that back in verse chapter 1, and we've got to go back to this, is that he was reminding us that Christians do sin. Read these verses out of 1 John 1, verse 8, and then verse 10. It says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Don't deceive yourselves. That's the worst kind of deceit. It's like standing there with the cookie crumbs all over your face. And then it says in verse 10, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him Jesus, God himself, out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. We know we sin as Christians. So if that's true, what does he mean here in this verse? You cannot go on sinning. Well, the tense of that verb, sinning, is ongoing sin. Continually, regularly sinning and missing the mark. It's an ongoing disregard for God, for God's will, habitual continual sin and what john is saying in this is that if you are in christ if i am in christ we will not continually habitually go on in that kind of way he says it really even more starkly there in verse eight the one who does what is sinful is of the devil ah i don't like that i don't like hearing that but we must acknowledge it because this is what John says. He's responding again to those false teachers. They thought this belief in God, which was at this spiritual high level, 
meant that what they did in their bodies was inconsequential. It didn't matter how they lived. It didn't matter what happened there. So John uses this hyperbole. Jesus does the same thing, right? When he teaches, he says things like exaggerating it beyond for emphasis to counter that lie. He wants to distance himself from that thought that it doesn't matter what you do in your body as long as you're good in your mind with God. John says, no, no. If you are in Christ, you will not continually, habitually, regularly sin. In fact, Christians can't be at peace with sin. We're engaged in this warfare together. And so when sin comes into our lives, we don't live comfortably with it. It should bother us when sin comes. Now, as a Jesus follower, you're going to keep on sinning, and so am I. But the sign of one who has seen and known Jesus is that you will develop a distaste for sin. It will churn at you. I remember a conversation I had several years ago with a a woman who was a newer Christian. And she said something to me. She said, I'm troubled by this because it seemed like I've come to Christ you know, freed me of my sin. And, and yet now it seems like all I do is find out the ways I've sinned. It's just like I see sin everywhere in my life. And we talked about the work of the Spirit in the heart of a Christian that makes us more aware of sin and develops this distaste for it. So it wasn't probably that she was sinning more. She was just more aware of it, more aware of the ways she had strayed from what she knew God desired for her. She didn't want to grieve God's heart. And so she was aware, alert to the sin that had crept in. It's kind of like what Paul talks about. It's one, another one of my, oops, back, back. There we go. Thank you. Paul, I love this verse because it's so real. This wonderful hero of the faith, Paul says it this way. His is struggle with sin. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I read that verse and say, yep, that's me. That's exactly describes me. That is the problem of sin that infects every single human being. And we know it's not just the sinful nature in us. We also know the devil has a role in this. The devil has a way of getting in and standing against what God wants to do in our lives. Always trying to infiltrate and mess up with your communion with Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about this. There are at least two spirit, there's two forces, spirits at work in the world. The Holy Spirit that draws us to Jesus and the spirit of deception that pulls us away and wants us to uh, follow lies. And when we sin... We are submitting our wills to the power of the devil. When we sin, we are really submitting our wills to the devil's power. John says it so clearly, and of course he loves contrasts. You know, light and dark and life and death. And he puts the contrast here in verse 7 through 10 as well. He says, the one who lives in God does what is right. The one who does not is sinful. 
One is born of God in verse 9. One is of the devil in verse 8. And he comes up very clearly. You're either a child, a child of God or a child of the devil. We hate, I, I don't react well to those kind of contrasts. I want to say there's got to be some place in the middle here, right? No. John is trying to make a really clear point for us this morning about sin. To remind us that the devil has a way of getting in there and moving us away from God. The devil, that word also means slanderer or accuser. The devil slanders God, actually. He slanders God's word by saying, that's not really true what he said. He makes us question God's goodness. Like, why would he ask us to do that? Because God's supposed to be good, right? He questions, he helps us, makes us question God's love. Is God really for me? Is he on my side? He wants, the devil wants us to take sin lightly, to not think about it as a big deal. And so he starts with his slanderous tactics first by making us, enticing us into sin, right? Like, it's no big deal. Or, no one will even know about it. Or, God just wants you to enjoy your life, right? He wouldn't put any limits on that. And so then once we've taken whatever that step is into sin, the devil slanders us again. And now he switches his tactics. You've, you've taken it in, you've taken the step, and now he accuses you. Oh, you aren't even a follower of Christ at all. You... He, t- he switches to the tactic of shame and accusation. This is the way the devil works in those dealing, uh, bringing sin into our lives. And he, John's defined it clearly for us. He said where it's come from, identifies its source in the devil. But there is a way forward. So when we come this morning, we don't have to worry about not being free of the power of sin. The way forward is where we're going now. Now, I don't want to hurry past this. I think if I asked asked a question now, like, what's the way forward out of sin? Every one of you would be able to raise your hand and give me an answer, right? Hopefully you've heard this gospel truth. If you have been in the church from the time you were Trey's age until you're almost ready to go to glory. This is a theme we know, but don't, let's not run past it. John says it this way in this passage. He said, Jesus appeared. Jesus appeared. And Jesus appeared to do two things. He appeared to take away our sins. And he appeared to destroy the devil's work. He broke into this physical realm. He knew what it was to face the temptations of the devil. Just like you and I do. And he took that away from us. By his death and resurrection. And he destroyed, forever destroyed any power that Satan has over you and I. Now Satan still has influence, but he doesn't have power over us. Children of God, we need to come back to this over and over again. Because when Jesus came, he took away the penalty from sin, of sin, which is death. He took away the power of sin, which is going to pull you away from communion with Jesus. And eventually, Jesus has already done this, but we don't see it yet. He has taken away the presence of sin. There will be a day, hallelujah, there will be a day where we're in a realm where none of us will be influenced by sin. The presence of it will be gone. 
Okay. Now, for those of you who are falling asleep with all these good theological truths, let's wake up and pay attention to what this means for us. Good theology is only good as long as it applies to how we live. Isn't that true? So what's the way forward for us? What are we doing to deal with sin in our lives? Let me suggest two things. Here's the first one. Confession. Confession is what we have been given as people of God to take sin seriously. God calls you and I to a holy life. We can't get away from that from the scriptures. But he also provides us this ongoing cleansing and this process whereby we can be real with God about sin. It's not a last resort option, confession. Like, oh, (laughs) I got caught The cookie crumbs are on my mouth. I better confess. No, confession is like an ongoing practice. Let's not hide behind the chair. Let's not pretend that we're just fine. Confession for many of you may have been something you grew up with in your faith tradition. Where you went to a spiritual leader on an ongoing rhythm and you shared your sins with others. I think that we Protestants could learn a lot from this practice. No, not that we have to go to someone else to be absolved of our sins, but to regularly, habitually come clean before God, before someone else. Those things that block our communion with God, he wants us to come clean. So if that picture helps you kind of think about what it is to just be real before God. To be honest before God. So what is confession? What might it look like in your life? Make it part of your regular prayer life. Some of you will, might end the day with this. Where you do kind of a prayer of examine. And you say, Lord, wh- what's going on in my life this day? Where have I missed the mark? And we do that not, not to be, feel shamed by it. But to be freed from it. What a gift to be able to say, God, oh yes. Yeah, you brought that to mind. You're right. I missed the mark on that. Remember, the Holy Spirit is not an accuser. The Holy Spirit convicts. Satan accuses. So when you feel conviction, you just say, Thank you, Spirit. You're moving me closer to Jesus Christ. And if denial comes in or shame, I think that's one of Satan's best tactics. Then use God's word to counter it. Claim this glorious promise that is from the first part of John's book here. We used to say this in our small groups every time after we prayed. We'd pray a prayer of confession and then we'd say together, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise when we confess. Nothing stays with you. Nothing goes forward with you. You are pure, my friends. I am pure. And that's a glorious feeling. Sometimes confession also needs to be not just to God, but to someone else. And that's the second part of moving forward is dealing with sin. And that is community. A second way to deal with and pursue a holy life and deal with sin honestly is to be real with other people around you. Now you may look at the people here in this, gathered in this space, or those of you who are online with us and think, I don't think any of these people can be trusted to be real 
with my sin? Oh, I think it takes time. Community where we can be real and be held accountable with someone else, by someone else. It's, it takes time. It's hard. But here's my encouragement to you. Stick with it. Stick with it. Keep trying. Keep moving towards people. Because the more humility I bring into community, the more humility you bring into community, the smaller that gap will be between who I am, who I really am, and who I say I am. Who we say we are, we can fake it really well. And isolation only helps that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this about isolation in the person, uh, Christian life. The more isolated a person is, the more attractive will be the power of, of sin over him or her. And the more deeply he or she becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Do you hear what he's saying? You start out being isolated and then the sin comes and you're so ashamed of it that you just go more and more into isolation. But we don't have to live that way, friends, people of God. We can confess and we can do it in community. And I think in this last year of staying home, we've become probably a little complacent about a lot of things. Maybe if you work from home, you got complacent about your wardrobe, right? (laughs) You didn't have to wear... I was going to say you could wear sweatpants. You probably didn't even have to wear pants because they only saw your head and no shoes. We got complacent about things. Yeah, that's funny, but I think we've also gotten somewhat complacent about holiness. Where we have just pretended like it's okay. Whatever. Nobody knows. I'm here by myself. Big deal. It's no big deal. We need to get real in community with one another about where we've missed the mark with trusted people with people you've gotten to know be open about your struggles and like I said this isn't easy work and none of us do it perfectly you may share a struggle with someone and they might not be able to handle it keep keep trying keep moving don't give up on others Find honest, trustworthy people that you can share in community with. I found this uh, quote this week that was very helpful to me from a Christian blogger and ministry consultant, Carrie Newhouse. When you admit your shortcomings, you build a bridge between you and others. Owning your sin is different than living in it. Confession is never an excuse for complacency. When we own our sin, we're saying, I don't want to live in this anymore. Will you help me to live in a holy life in an accountable way? And that's what happens in community. We build these bridges of honest confession and we spur one another on to love and good deeds. John ends his letter in verse, this part of his letter, verse 10, by reminding us, anyone who does not do What is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. It's a simple test. The message says it this way. If you don't practice righteous ways, you maybe aren't from God, nor is the one who won't love their brother or sister. So there we are. How are we dealing with sin today? Maybe this morning you find yourself hiding behind the chair. 
trying to avoid your own wrongdoing. It's time to come clean, my friends. It's time to be honest about sin before God and others. Or perhaps you've been isolated in this pandemic bubble or maybe just in your own sin bubble. You've rationalized your own sin. You've avoided the accountability of brothers and sisters who will love you and be with you in it. And I would suggest this morning that the way forward for us in dealing with sin is to come out of hiding. Don't hide before God. He's the loving parent who, when you admit what you've done, offers grace and forgiveness. That's why Jesus appeared. He appeared, and he keeps showing up to destroy the devil's work and to set us free. And that is what I want us to pray for today as we end our time, that we would honor God in all we do, that we would live fully for him, and that he would free us from sin's deception. Let's pray together. Lord, this isn't an easy topic for us. When we look at ourselves, we know we're sinners. And yet we long to be with you, to abide in you. And we mess up over and over. We thank you that you've given us the gift of confession. That your spirit convicts us and leads us to a place of being honest with you and with others. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of community. Of people who are also seeking to walk in God's ways. Who we can be honest with who will walk with us in our struggles and in our sins and point us to Jesus. Lord, in all we do, we seek to honor you. May that be so even in the way we deal with sin in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.